You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to discuss childcare, but first, let's catch up on life lately. What is new with you, Sarah? I want to give an update on something I talked about on our reading roundup. I have decided on a reading challenge that I'm going to do. Yay! At your suggestion, I decided to look into the Read Harder Challenge, and I am loving it. Ooh, it is making me feel so excited about reading. I love when you go to the website with each of the challenges, you can click on it, and it gives a list of recommendations, which is adding so many things to my to-be-read list. Love that. Including things that I would not have picked up otherwise, which I think is one of the main benefits of a challenge like this. Mm-hmm. For example, one of the challenges is an audiobook of poetry, and I listened to a novel in verse that was called Other Words from Home by Jasmine Warga, and was just lovely. I highly recommend it. And now I'm listening to another book of poetry. First challenge, already loving it, exposing me to new things, and can't wait to see what the rest of the year brings. That's really cool. I have not thought about listening to poetry. I really enjoy reading it. Mm -hmm. It can be kind of a challenge and I don't always reach for it Mm -hmm. because it often feels less restorative than reading an awesome fiction book or a memoir or something like that. But I wonder if listening to it would be a really nice option. Mm -hmm. And it feels that you can listen to it in small snippets and still get a lot out of it, Mm. which I like. I'd love to hear if other listeners are doing this challenge and we should talk about it over on our Goodreads group page for folks that are in the friendlier reading experience. If you are over there, I'll put a post up about this and see if other folks want to join me in this challenge. And that group has been seeing some action lately with people sharing their favorites of 2019 also. So that's something fun, listeners. If you want to get in on it, email us. What's new with you? I want to give some props to the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella starring Brandy as Cinderella and Whitney Houston as the fairy godmother. Mm. We stopped offering screen time earlier this year and we have brought it back in full force. Moving will do that. <laughs> also, Plum no longer napping and no longer being really excited about quiet playtime will also do that. Fair. We're also going to talk about me not having childcare right now a little bit later in this episode. And that will also bring back screen time. So really, it's this trifecta of need I have for Plum to be occupied doing something else. And this movie fits the bill. The problem that we have had with movies in the past, even movies that are intended for kids and that many kids love, such as Frozen, is that they are too scary. Yes. For my kid. Agree. And this movie is not the least bit scary at all. It has great diversity, great songs, super awesome, colorful costumes. And it has princess stuff, which Plum is super into. So there you go. (laughs) I also wanted to solicit Rex from listeners for other non-scary movies. If you have other movies that are interesting enough to hold a kid's attention, but nothing bad happens, I would love to hear what they are. Now let's talk about what we've been reading. What's your latest read, Sarah? Just before the holidays, I read American Royals by Catherine McGee. I heard the premise of this and immediately put it on hold. It is a (laughs) YA novel where George Washington did not become America's first president. He became America's first king. What? So we follow the lives of the young royals in modern day and their friends as they navigate through love and friendship and politics. So are they all Washingtons, like descended from George Washington then? Mm -hmm. We're following the current young adult 
Washingtons, along with some of the people around them. Okay. It reminded me a lot of the selection by Kira Cass, which is also this modern day in America royalty, although that one has sort of these dystopian future aspects to it also, (laughs) where it was really fun, really easy to read, could not put it down, but doesn't rank up there with Red, White, and Royal Blue Mm. or the Royal We. And I think that's because both of the first ones I mentioned are young adult novels, and the other ones are adult novels. And we're adults. Yes. (laughs) You have talked about how you became somewhat disenchanted with YA fiction in Mm -hmm. recent years. Yeah. And I had not been on the same page. But with this one, I was like, okay, I think I'm feeling the way Abby was feeling, which is, this is fun and good, but isn't to that next level of amazingness. Hmm. I think it has to do with the predictability of the story in YA and some unnecessary angst. (laughs) Yes. I would still recommend it if you enjoy light royal fiction. It was a fun premise and enjoyable to read, and I will definitely be picking up number two when it comes out in the fall. What have you been reading? I recently finished Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. The subtitle is A Therapist, Her Therapist, and Our Lives Revealed. And this is by Lori Gottlieb. She's a therapist, and she talks both about her experience offering therapy and receiving it herself, sort of in the context of this big life event. And so it's mostly her story and then the stories of her clients. And she says at the beginning that she's protecting their privacy and they're kind of like combinations, but she follows these three different clients over the course of their therapy journey, Okay, which was really satisfying to sort of watch them go from coming in and really needing therapy to wherever they ended up. Mm-hmm. And I loved how she wove them in along with her own stuff and then along with her experience of seeing her therapist. Mm-hmm. It made me feel really nostalgic for my therapist in North Carolina, who I love. It also scratched this voyeurism itch while at the same time feeling really real. Mm. And in that sense, it was really satisfying. So I would recommend it. I think it's been almost universally well-received. It has really high score on Goodreads. I can't see anything to not like about it. (laughs) I have this one on hold, and I am so glad you talked about it this time because I almost foxed you to get your opinion. I knew you would have thoughts about a book about therapy, so I'm glad to hear they are positive. Yeah, I would say some of the stuff is pretty heavy, but I still really enjoyed it. Now we'll move on to our topic for today, which is childcare. We'll start talking about what you like about other people taking care of your kids. I love expanding the circle of people who love my kids and who care for my kids. I think having more adult role models in their life is a good thing. And personally, I love having child-free time to pursue my own interests and spend time with my friends and spouse without my children present. As much as I love them, as an introvert, that time alone is so necessary to my mental well-being. And I'm an extrovert, and I also like having a break from my kids. (laughs) True enough. I also like feeling like an adult. Both of those things are huge benefits to my mental health. And like you said, I like having my kids feel comfortable with other caregivers and in other settings. I think that helps them gain confidence in who they are and in their abilities. I also love the interaction with other kids that Plum has had in group care settings. Mm -hmm. She is definitely an extrovert, and it is so helpful to have that need met without me having to coordinate a play date or take her to the park or something. Mm -hmm. We will talk about this, but we do not have group care right now. And so I am 
sort of playing the role of social director for her and really appreciating that aspect of childcare that we are currently lacking. <laughs> yes. So on the flip side, what do you dislike about other people taking care of your kids? I dislike the process itself of finding childcare. It can feel really overwhelming and like this big barrier to making it happen. Just the mental energy, the actual time of finding someone whose values align with ours, whose schedule aligns with ours, getting all those pieces in place. I do think that's gotten easier as time goes on, but I also think it's gotten easier partly because there's more options as kids get older. Mm -hmm. Once it's set up, it's great, but making it happen is a challenge. That is also my main dislike is the coordination piece of it. My standards are really high. I've done a lot of childcare. I feel really strongly about the way my children are treated and cared for. Probably I am in some aspects unreasonable that I could do more on the good enough mm -hmm. side of things and they would be fine. Really, it can be quite a task to find both individual sitters and group care that meets those standards and that doesn't give me a bad gut feeling. I thought that I could sort of be more rational about it, but I do go so much on the emotional feeling that I get when meeting someone or when visiting a place mm -hmm. that it has not been as easy <laughs> as I would hope. I even have a hard time letting go and letting Andrew take the lead. Mm. I think he would do a great job. I think that it's just about my hangups about it. So along those lines, what do you look for and value in childcare? Respecting them as whole people, mm -hmm. including in the toddler years. I think that a lot of places respect them more as they get older, as opposed to from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Having open play, no screens, yeah, and a lot of outdoor and nature time. I look for the caregivers really enjoying my children mm. and taking delight in them in the same ways that I do. I love that. I love free play and not a lot of academics. Yes. And then, like I said, I have a gut feeling about it that is hard for me to predict. And for a while, I felt guilty about. But if I'm not comfortable, I'm not comfortable. So now I just roll with it. Right. It won't be relaxing for you. Exactly. You won't be able to enjoy that time to yourself if you're worried about what's happening. Bingo. So looking back, let's talk about some of our first experiences using childcare. My first experience was with a babysitter. We had one off and on for a few date nights before E was born. But in terms of consistent childcare, after E was born, I just really felt like I needed a little time and space in my life that I was not getting. Mm -hmm. So we hired a babysitter to come on Wednesday mornings from nine to one. And during that time, E napped. So I still had her. The babysitter came and took HP out to the park awesome, or somewhere else in Austin. And then I stayed home, got the time to myself while E was napping, and then also got some time with just her. And got time in your house mm -hmm. to do things without your toddler hanging onto your legs or something. Yes. The being at home was key to making that work, that it felt like HP's needs were getting met, getting out in the morning and doing something. But then I was still able to be at home. E could have her nap. And as you said, getting things done or just sitting quietly. I remember the very first day when E was down for a nap and the sitter had taken HP and sitting down on my couch with my cup of coffee and just breathing a deep sigh. <laughs> what about for you? 
Plum was probably just over a year and my nurse practitioner got really real with me at my yearly physical and she said, you need to find some child care. Not having it is clearly adversely affecting your mental health. Mm. That was the kick in the pants that I needed. I think at that point, I started to bring in a babysitter just one time a week who would do similar stuff, you know, would take Plum to the park or would play with her at home while I had an appointment. And that was really nice. I found that sitter, I think, through next door, which is where we found most of our sitters when we lived in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And then at that time, we also started looking for preschools that she could start when she was two. So can you talk about your first preschool experience in your family? Sure. We'd started looking at preschools in Austin and did not have any success. I was really looking for the future. At that point, we didn't know if we were moving or not, but I knew once HP was three that we wanted him to be in some kind of preschool setting. Mm -hmm. Felt like we were trying to balance distance that we needed to be able to bike there, Mm -hmm. cost, and a place that aligned with our values, with those things that we talked about before. And it felt like we could often find two of those three, but there was no place that met all three of those. Mm. It was also hard in Austin to find part-time care, that there was a lot of full-day options. Yes, that's how it is here, too. But we were really looking for just a couple mornings a week. Mm -hmm. Turns out we didn't need care in Austin because we moved to Bloomington just after HP turned three. And I just walked into the local Y. We joined. I saw that they had Tuesday, Thursday preschool for three-year-olds from nine to noon and said, that sounds great. Emailed with the director a little bit to talk about how play-based it was versus academic. Mm -hmm. And he got in and started three weeks later. It was great. I don't know I would say it was perfect, but it was wonderful. The teachers were caring. It was a small classroom setting. They have woods to go play in outdoors. They have a gym in the winter that they could access. And I met a lot of great people through the experience. Mm -hmm. And so he did that both as a three-year-old and then he also did a four-year-old program with one of the most amazing teachers I've ever seen. He was just one of those people that you know was meant to do childcare and was so enthusiastic and happy and loved being outside and getting kids excited about learning and just had a wonderful experience before heading into kindergarten the next year. I love that. What was Plum's first preschool like? Well, when I started to look for preschools, I ran into this thing of finding ones that looked really great on paper and then visiting and having that gut feeling of like, oh, no, this is not going to work for us. Mm -hmm. And also sort of a reevaluation of our values that I didn't particularly want to put my kid in the car every day to take her to preschool, no matter how good the preschool was that we were going to go to. Mm -hmm. So we ended up looking at a bunch. And the last one I looked at, it was the exact right thing. We went in there. She was still little. I think she wasn't even walking when we visited. Mm -hmm. But it was this small school. The teachers were the owners and they had been the teachers and been team teaching this mixed age class of two to five year olds for like 15 years at that point. So they had it down. They had this amazing outdoor space. But really, the most important thing was that Plum was comfortable there and they enjoyed her. And they said, you know what? I think we'd love to have her. She'll fit right in. That was what I needed to be like, oh, you appreciate my kid. You are seeing her already for who she is and saying that she will be welcome there. Mm -hmm. And it really boiled down to that that was the most important thing, that we felt that our kid was going to be loved while she was there. And she was. The community grew into what felt like extended family in North Carolina that we didn't have. And I'm just so thankful that that was her first school experience. 
Do you want to tell us a little about E's preschool experiences? Hers was much more varied than HP's was. She was originally going to go back into the same classroom that he was in at the Y. Mm-hmm. But right before school started, we found out that a friend of ours in the neighborhood, who is a former Montessori teacher, was opening her own in-home preschool. Cool. And I really struggled with the decision, but knowing I was going to have two drop-offs and having it be in the neighborhood, it was a small setting. It really was everything I would look for in a preschool. They went outside every single day, no matter the weather. And the parts of Montessori that I personally find a little challenging She did not adhere to those, that there was still a lot of imaginative play, which is so important to me, was just a wonderful environment. And that was the year I was producing Family Pedals, the biking podcast that I did for a year. And I got to the point where I just needed more childcare time in order to do this podcast, do that one, and then not feel like I was scrambling in the other hours. Mm Mm-hmm. Because there wasn't space for her to go five days a week at the in-home school, she started going two days a week at the Y and then continuing three mornings a week at the in-home school. Then that school ended up closing because the teacher went back to school to pursue a different career path, which was wonderful for her, but sad for us. Mm -hmm. So E went back to the Y. And then that fall, I just was having a really hard time. I... I'm not totally sure what all the reasons for that were. I think part of it was just feeling exhausted after having been the primary stay-at-home parent for six and a half years. Mm -hmm. I think part of it is the weather and the weather affecting me more than I realized and feeling the sense of dread staring down the winter and thinking about biking HP to school, her to preschool, back home, and then reversing that. Mm. Just felt like so much. And- It's something that I had been doing for years, and I think that was what was hard about it. I have done this. I have done this for years, but it just felt like too much. It wasn't working anymore. Yes. So Neil and I really struggled, partly because there didn't seem to be this perfect other option. Mm. It felt like some of our values were in conflict and we were having to choose. That on the one hand, I didn't want E in school full time. Yeah. I still wanted to have more time with her at home, but I couldn't keep doing the commute. So if we still wanted to be a family that didn't have a car, that meant we couldn't keep up this childcare situation. Mm -hmm. We ended up having her go full-time to a preschool program that's at HP school. So I only had one drop-off. I only had one pickup. And as I said, I really struggled with that choice to put her in full-time care. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, it felt very selfish to me. And I just had a hard time admitting that that was what I really needed. Then, turns out, I had cancer. And I'm really glad she was in care full time that semester. Yeah. (laughs) Because I cannot imagine what it would have been like if they had different pickups and drop-offs. And so many people pitched in helping pick up my kids or drop off my kids. And the fact that it was the same place and the same schedule was a huge blessing. Now, she's still at HP school, but she is just doing half days this year. I feel like I have a little bit more bandwidth and it feels like just the right compromise where same drop off, different pickups, but it's so close and easy to make it happen. And just a few more months of her being in preschool and then we'll be done with this phase of our lives. So that's where we are right now. What is your childcare situation right now? 
We are currently without childcare because it has been hard to jump in mid-year, both with a preschool and with babysitters. That is definitely wearing me out. It is going to be the next thing I focus on. I think we'll probably start by bringing in a college student for a couple of mornings a week, but we are trying to get Plum into a preschool for the end of this school year Mm -hmm. that she'll continue on with. What's your babysitter situation these days? We're not in a great place with that. We've always found our babysitters through care.com. We had a few in Austin. And then when we moved here, I interviewed a few people, had some college students on call and used them somewhat frequently, frequently enough that we were on their list of folks. But then Neil's parents moved to town, which has been wonderful and have generously offered to watch our kids whenever we need it. But Because we've been relying on them, we no longer have a stock of babysitters. Mm. And I think we would do better to find a balance for that because just if we're staying out really late or if it's something we want to do with family or if they have a conflict, there's any number of reasons why it wouldn't work out. And I'd like to have a backup plan. Mm -hmm. But that also feels a little bit hard because I do feel like if we have a babysitter, I feel like we need to use them once a month or every couple months at least, just to have them be familiar with our kids and to keep everyone on everyone else's radar kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And we just don't go out that often. So I'm not quite sure what our plan of action is there. Also, that getting to know you period is hard. And if you're using college students, which we almost always have for babysitters, Mm -hmm. you get to know them and then they move on. They graduate. Right. Or if they are local, which we've had several great sitters in North Carolina who are coming home in the summer, Mm -hmm. but then they start to do careers that are not childcare and do things like internships and stuff. Yeah. So that's always a little tricky to balance. Yes. So not in a great spot, but not imminently taking action to fix it either. (laughs) We're going to wrap up by looking toward the future of childcare in our lives. What does the future of other people taking care of your kids look like for you, Sarah? Very soon. It will be both kids in full-time public school. Wow. No monthly childcare payments, which will feel really good. Mm-hmm. When she transferred to where she is currently, it was a substantial increase per month over what it was at the Y, which mm. was part of also why I think I was feeling so conflicted, is being willing to invest financially in what I needed felt like this other barrier mm. to overcome. Yes. I think that that is actually a pretty common hang up for parents who have been at-home parents, whether it's full-time or Mm part-time, that it feels really hard to justify that expense. Yes. But for everybody out there, it's not one-to-one. You are of value regardless of what you are financially contributing or not. And it's okay to need a break from your kids, even if it costs money. Agreed. It's easy to say that, but sometimes it's much harder to feel that. Oh, yeah. So we are getting ready to close the chapter on the preschool years and enter into public school. P.S. Did you know that it costs money to send your kids to the Indiana public schools? That you have to pay a book fee every year? That's hundreds of dollars. That's so ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I was astonished HP's first year when I received a bill. thought, isn't this public school? Mm -hmm. It is not a lot of money compared to full-time care, but it still just feels like this really regressive way to run the public school system rather than having it be entirely through our taxes. 
Yeah. That is neither here nor there. I'm still looking forward to them being in full-time public school in the fall. What does the future look like for you? After a lot of looking in Birmingham, I think that we have found a preschool that both kids can definitely go to in the fall. And maybe Plum can jump into this semester. They also have summer camps, which mm. like you choose on a week by week basis. Nice. So in the fall, Pepper will go two mornings a week and Plum will go Monday through Thursday. I think, like I said before, nothing will compare to the school we had in North Carolina. But this preschool felt really welcoming when we were there. The teachers seemed to really be enjoying the kids. They were glad to see us. The kids were friendly. And I think that really is the most important thing for us. Mm -hmm. Another dream that I have is that we may go back to Carborough for like a week of vacation mm. where I could go to my book club. Mm -hmm. We could reconnect with some babysitters that are still there and potentially send Plum to the summer camp at her preschool. Nice. So that she can be in that community again just for a little bit. I would love it if we just continue to do that so that we could see our friends that are there. And then Pepper could eventually go to that summer camp, too, which would be so fun. I love it. Summer does present this really interesting challenge that I feel like, oh, we're done paying for childcare. My kids are in public school. Mm -hmm. And then there's the whole summer, which now that I'm working part time presents more challenges mm -hmm. where before I was home and liked having a laid back summer where we didn't have a lot scheduled. So I'm not exactly sure what the summer will look like for us in terms of finding that right balance. And I have a hard time with the fact that it's usually signing up for one week full time at the ages mm. that they are. And yes. it's like, that feels like a little bit too much. And then not doing anything at all feels like not quite enough. Right. There isn't quite the right balance that I'm looking for. Hmm. But we'll see what happens. I know there's lots of great options. I mean, my favorite job as a high schooler growing up was to be a summer nanny. Mm -hmm. And I usually had three different families where I would go on Tuesday, Thursday for one family and on Wednesday for another family and on Monday, Friday for another family or mm. something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's something to think about. I took the kids to the pool. We went to the movies. We did art. It was really fun. I would love to have uh, Abby come and watch my children in the summer. Maybe I should get a time machine and go back and then I could come. <laughs> Perfect. Be your summer nanny. All my problems solved. <laughs> well, that's the end of our chat about childcare. We would love to hear your experiences and opinions. And if you have any tips for how we get the babysitter thing sort of working more smoothly, we would love to hear all of that, listeners. Let's finish by talking about what we've been eating. I have a chicken enchilada update. Yes. So I think I talked about chicken enchiladas a long time ago, and mm -hmm. I was making them still with sour cream sauce. So rich. So delicious. <laughs> really good. But kind of a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I have found a much easier sauce fix, which is to buy the green salsa verde. Mm -hmm. There are all kinds of brands of this. We just get a mild one. I think it's the Herdez brand or something, but it's available at whatever grocery store you go to. And one of the sort of medium-sized jars will do a whole pan of chicken enchiladas. So I do the chicken enchiladas the same on the inside. It's shredded chicken, green chilies, onions, some seasonings, and then cheese goes in there with them. Mm -hmm. I roll them up in corn tortillas, which I fry in oil first to make them soft, and then fill my pan. And then I just pour the green sauce over the top, put some cheese on the top, bake them until the cheese on top melts, and it is awesome. It's a little bit lighter, too, I think. Mm -hmm. That sour cream chicken enchilada situation, like you said, is very rich. 
Yes. <laughs> and can be maybe a little bit intense. This is a much nicer sort of balance so that you feel like you can eat some other things along with it. <laughs> I love a good enchilada recipe, as you know, and I will be looking into this hack. What have you been eating, Sarah? I recently revived an old recipe from my recipe folder. Mm. This is called skillet beans, which was made for us originally by a friend who was visiting us and cooked us a meal. Mm. The base of the dish is black-eyed peas. You saute onions, celery, peppers, garlic, add a can of tomatoes, add the cooked black-eyed peas, some spices, think it's thyme, oregano, and basil. And then the key is a tablespoon of mustard and a tablespoon of molasses. Mm. So it has this really great, sweet, a little bit spicy flavor to it. Hmm. The friend who made it said that you can also do this with sausage, cooking up some Italian Mm. sausage and then cutting it into pieces and adding it to that. Yum. But it's also vegan if you just eat it as is. Just love the flavors. I love black-eyed peas. I mean, I like them just with butter and salt, but feel like this takes it to the next level, and I'm hoping we'll be back in regular rotation in our house. I love that. Do you cook your black-eyed peas in the Instant Pot first? Sure do. I cooked them for 20 minutes so that they wouldn't get too soft, and that was just from dry, and that seemed about right. Nice. I'm intrigued. Well, that's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. Listeners, remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. You can also connect with us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or via an email to friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. Well, just cut all that. What did I say earlier? Just whatever. (laughs) Can Can we stop? I'm sorry. Yeah.